0: We're so happy to have you with us today, Holly, coming to us from Anchorage. And here, Benell broadcasts inspiration and adaptation from Homer. At the moment, I'm actually on Yurok land in Northern California. And Benel is on the tribal lands of Ninilchik village, tribal lands that stretch from the Caribou Hills across to Kotnu to the tip of Homer Spit, and um, all the way up to um, Kenai region, we um, we are really pleased at Benel to partner with Indigenous artists to um, support efforts of um, decolonization, and these weekly dialogues um, are a really important part of that. We're so pleased to have Holly Nordland with us today, artist Holly Mituk. Um, Nordlum speaks about cultural resistance and revitalization today through her present projects including public art, land acknowledgement through art, film and traditional tattoo. Holly received a bachelor of fine art in graphic design and photography from the University of Alaska Anchorage. Nordlum's public art can be seen at Cook Inlet Housing Authority on Spinard and 36th and at the Lusak Library facade with pending projects at the Mountain View School Alaska Cares Building. In 2016, Nordland was named a Time Warner Fellow with the Sundance Film Festival and received an Art Matters Grant and a Humanities Forum Grant for her work documenting Tupukmi, Traditional Inuit Tattoo. She was also featured in New York Times Lifestyle Section in the summer of 2018, and she's been awarded an Alaska Native Visionary Award, and Individual Artists Award, and she was named Smithsonian's National Museum of the Year Indian Artist Leadership Program. Congratulations, Holly. You have an extraordinary record of achievement already as as a young artist in Alaska. It's it's truly impressive. And we're delighted to have you with
1: us today. (laughs) Thanks. It sounds like a long list. But um, when you work for a long time, 20 years almost, crazy, um, you just rack up these little things.
0: And, you know, you have, I think, you have kind of um, an amazing story, which, you know, your art um, in some ways um, transforms and transcends at a pretty high level. There are so many questions that I have for you today, and I hope you'll let me know if there's anything that you, or any area that you don't really want to talk about. But one of the things which I became aware of um, and most moved by when you had work in our Um, nationally touring show Decolonizing Alaska is your fearlessness in reaching into your own story and the stories of I would say resilience and um, compassion and courage um, overcoming experiences that um, are not totally unique in Alaska but truly reflect the impacts of colonization I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about your childhood and and how it might have shaped you, to make you the artist that you are today.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, my parents are uh, Roger and Lucy Nordum. First, Uvanga Rumi Runga. Um My name is Holly Nordum. Mititko is my Inupak name, and um, I'm originally from Kotzebue, Alaska, or Kikiktagroq. And um, growing up there, my parents were, my mom's from Cotsby originally and is the Inupia. And um, my dad is Norwegian and German from from Minnesota. So he was up there flying and um, they met. Then my mom actually had signed up to go to AIAI. She was like 21 when uh, they met and she- uh, She was gonna go to the Institute of American Indian Art? She was. Wow. And then uh I happened <laughs> so it must have been really strong on her mind to have to give that up uh, for me um, but I think that's uh, that was a benefit to me you know that she's always been an artist and she's an amazing drawer and can visualize much more than I can and I think her and I had an uncle who was an artist. Um, they kind of led that for me. However, they were both dog mushers, my parents. So they were. I did rod mushers, and both did really well. And they did rod in the eighties, and um, that kind of formed my life. We were always living um, out in the boonies, you know, without running water, honey buckets, hunting for food. I remember as a little little girl, my mom had a trap line, and she would ski and check her traps and. Um, once in a great while, we were so little she'd let us come with, and um, those kind of just form your the way you're independent, the way you're able to survive um, in such a cold climate. And this is outside of Kotzebue, right, thirty miles from Kotzebue. So we weren't even near the town for a lot of my little uh, youth. Of course, then I had to go to school, <laughs> and then we moved to town so I could go to school, but. I think all that kind of formed, you know, them being artists, my mom being an artist, and then um, being in the Arctic um, at what is normally called fish camp, but it was our full year thing. I mean, my grandparents lived out there too, about five miles from us. And they were Inupac speakers and often spoke Inupiaq, um when I, you know, to tell, to gossip or to say something about me. So um, my Inupak was always like, um, you know, when they were talking in inupak I wanted to know, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me? Are they gossiping? You know, so I had a real interest in language even then because uh, they were my regular babysitters. I actually had never been around strangers until kindergarten.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and and you see my dad. Is, you know, <laughs> so cute. Right here working on, I think he's repairing the bathroom toilet. Um, so just, you know, all very um, kind of family oriented, it sounds like the way that you were raised. And you were you were immersed in wanting to learn your language early on, which is pretty. Right. Special and and it's
1: funny that it was um, done in a way that. It was excluded from me, right? Like I wanted it, but they weren't teaching it to me. I was just like, "What are they saying?"
0: And, and we all know that's a great way to motivate kids to it's want to so like so
1: good, so good. Yeah, and even though I, um, I don't like I'm I'm in my 40s now, and I don't think I remember any of that language when I was in Greenland. It was all coming flooding back. So those neurotransmitters that were early. You know, with language, um, they're in there, and that's pretty amazing with the human brain what it can do. Yeah, I have had that that
0: experience as well, and so it's it's a combination of the desire and the exposure and the conditions that exactly. you, you know that you find yourself in. So you noticed similarities between Greenlandic Inuit language.
1: And- Exact language except the dialectical differences. Wow. So um they may use the same word for something else, right? Um, over time, you know how language grows. Yeah. So um, they may use the same word for something else, but it's the same core word. So I was I was like, what did you just say, you know? Um, and what's really cool about Greenland is you're a lot of people in the smaller villages don't speak English, they don't have English teachers. So um, you're desperate to communicate. And um, that is an amazing learning tool. <laughs> well, you Two. were in Greenland
0: how many years ago now?
1: Two, maybe
0: three.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, um, my COVID has messed with my timeline significantly, right. but I, maybe three. three and at that point,
0: is that when you were studying um, tattoo?
1: Yeah, we're always studying tattoo, but this was right after we started tattooing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. About a year into our practice.
0: And at that point, did you have a really specific, um, like, uh, program or apprenticeship that you were doing, or were you working more independently in that? Um,
1: research? Well, I mean, like you hope apprenticeships go on forever, right? Like you hope that you learn, you get to a point where you're at the same level, and then you you start learning together. Um, you and your people. Um, and I, I was still learning then, and I'm still learning now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the we of this project that you're referencing, and oh, okay. also the teachers that were really important to you.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, I could go on and on about how lucky we were. First, um, Yari Walker really inspired me. She uh, works at the Heritage Center and does so much education for Native people here in the city in, in schools and conferences. She's just a powerhouse of education. And I worked with her years ago and she told me a little bit about her story about her tattoos. And, um, she, uh, the guy who did her tattoos, who was in his twenties at the time, a Western tattooer, um, became our first like partner, uh, Jake Scrivener. Mm -hmm. And, um, he just is so Caring and giving, he was able to, you know, help me through this process. First, uh, we got funding from uh, the Polar Lab, and that was uh, with the help of Don Bitteson helping me write out a plan. How we were going to structure, Museum. yeah, at the Anchorage Museum, and and that was Don helping me plan it. She's amazing. Uh, I have so many people to thank, but and then Jake uh, helped me kind of figure out what what an apprenticeship would look like. And over the years, we've discussed many things, and he's still a huge resource for us. Um, But uh, before I even had anyone to train us, I had kind of dreamed of an Inuit woman to train us, right? Uh, Inuit tattooing was women for women. So once I got the funding, I just kind of sat on it and hoped... And kept reaching out to people and hoped there was someone out there. Um, And then Stephen Blanchett was living in Denmark at the time. And he came back for a performance. And we went out for a drink. And he said, I met someone, an Inuit woman working in Norway who's doing traditional tattoos. And it just, what? Like, I got tingles and was so excited. So he hooked us up right there uh, on Facebook (laughs) Uh, with Maya. Uh, Maya Jacobson. And um, yeah, then I was able to start planning once we found somebody and convince her to do this with us. And Um,
0: and having met Maya, and I know she's such a lovely, charismatic woman, you know, I remember when she came to Bunnell Street Art Center, she brought this beautiful presentation about tattoo and she showed her own drawings that kind of expressed um, history, you know, about their use. And I wonder if you know through your lens and your experience, you could tell us about um, the role of traditional tattoo in in marking like significant points in a woman's life. What is it? What does it mean? You know, historically, to be.
1: Um, I mean, I, I always go back to like we have to reimagine life right? Like we live this kind of life now, but life back then wasn't like this. It was uh survival and hunting and subs- all subsistence, right? And the women um were responsible for keeping people fed and then, you know, clothing everybody. So imagine having to sew your kids clothes and he rips them and you have to sew them every other day, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Um, and then tanning furs all that was the woman's responsibility Uh, obviously everybody contributes to that process but um, keeping that in mind that life was very different Mm -hmm. like um, but um, I have seen stories many stories about um, when the men were out hunting for months at a time or a month at a time that the uh, women would be sewing and 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 that's when The tattooing happened is when they were together and you know surviving and and trying to make the best of the situation that they were in and then yes the tattoos uh were done to recognize things in their lives that were accomplishments or things they were good at or you know just a celebration of their life but the first I, i think maya talks about this too the first markings were often done when a girl became a woman, which you know she started her cycle. So Mm -hmm. um then it was a marker and a celebration of her becoming a woman. And I I think about that a lot because um I don't know your story, but my story was like of shame, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I didn't even know what was going on. I I think was nine, 10 years old and I you just don't know uh, when you start your your period in your cycle. Um, had it been a celebration of community and becoming a woman, oh my goodness, that would have made a, uh, a significant, but it wasn't looked on that way for me. And yeah. I love that idea of um, taking something that uh, has become shameful because of colonization, I believe, um, and making it a celebration. I think it ties right into I, mean, I know where you're going. I think it ties right into the sexuality of Native women as well, because it's it's shameful, you know, and and that's been put upon us um, by our colonizer.
0: And when you spoke of this shame of of um, starting your cycle, the shame in the context of a of a, a colonized environment. Tell me a little bit more about what that that moment was like then that, that yeah
1: I mean I context. wasn't there <laughs> but <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> my great-grandmother um is kind of that that generation and she I, I'm trying to think of the year I'm right at the turn you know 1900 yeah like 20 30 years on both sides um so Pack speaker lived in a sod house and um you know, uh, was the last in our family had to have traditional face tattoo, the tavlogan, the chin tattoo. And I think that time, um, I, th- I just quoted Ernestine Hayes the other day because I love her so much. But um, in her book, uh, Tao of Raven, she speaks about imagine, let's say this American society and for lack of a better community let's say russia takes us over tomorrow and or they buy us um and we have to learn their language we've never heard it before we have to learn their money system we've never seen it before we have to learn their social structure and we've never seen that before and then we have to work at jobs we've never done before and that's kind of exactly what that was like for them right the confusion and the not knowing and, and, and wanting the best for your children, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's what that was like for that generation. Um, and then wanting to conform, they may, you know, when you put, I, and I tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a Seward's Agreement that's kind of split up Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had religious leaders there and they just circled areas, right? Quakers, you got Kotzebue in the surrounding area. And gnome is a catholic church and you know down here we're going to have russian orthodox and then they put those religious factions in places of power right they ran the towns they ran any educational yeah and and that comes i mean when you're switching from a system that you've known for thousands of years and then to this new system it creates a lot of confusion and loss and um, and then you want what's best for your kids, so you're just trying to make it right. So a lot of my aunts and uncles don't don't speak any back and uh, weren't encouraged to, and then were raised in boarding schools because then the state of Alaska did a really interesting thing and they uh, made it illegal for kids not to go to school. So you had to either send them away or move with them, and nobody could really. Do that, so, um, and then later, of course, there was a court case that um, made them build schools in the villages, but that came much later. So there's a whole generation of people had, that had to go to boarding school.
0: So you're speaking about, like, in a sense, these way, la- these layers of colonization, beginning exactly. with the religious colonization, which brought shame in,
1: exactly. And yeah. you know, all those boarding schools were religious. Like, yeah. it was. It's a real tool. And, and, and it was just picked like you mm-hmm. Quaker, you, you know, there right. was no yeah. free will, there was mm-hmm. no free will. It was uh, forced upon us. And then their ways are very different than our ways. So um, there's shame comes with that when you're changing over. Yeah, they want, I mean, it, it's kind of a tool. Shame is a tool to mm-hmm. help you to make you conform
0: and then you had the the shaming around language and loss of language
1: exactly so in
0: this context your this revitalization of traditional tattoo it it means something about overcoming that certainly but what right. else does it mean for you and for the women who um, come to you for a tattoo today they yeah. you know they've survived and another stage, a different wave, the contemporary impacts of colonization, what sort of things are you hearing that are motivating this, this really um, powerful marking and signifier of identity?
1: Right. Well, and I think um, the chin tattoo is the most obvious, but we have them all over the body. And mm-hmm. um, I like to call those other ones uh, gateway tattoos because the face is where it's going to go. Like this yeah. makes the real impact in society. Sure, to wear it on your face. To wear it on your face, um, but uh, to your question, which now I'm trying to remember now. Long those long other long. those those other
0: moments, the symbolism. Of oh, the like now,
1: yes. Yeah. So now I think it's so interesting because it is in this time. I mean, we just got out of this tough, tough time uh, politically, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, that really showed true colors here and even here in our society, right? All over the country and, um, you know, racism, um, more shame, all those things were so obvious over these last five years. I mean, they, they've always been obvious, but uh, they were emboldened these last four years. And some people call that, you know, white body supremacy.
0: Right? Yes. It's that yes. privileging of the white body. Yes. And the shaming and controlling of brown and black bodies. And exactly. Bodies so when you talk about, you know, like, in a sense, emboldening that, you know, your body, women's bodies, bodies of color, it's really like claiming- Exactly. This this body and saying, I'll do
1: When it. I all stay in their face, in right in front of them, right? Yeah. It's a direct, um, and they look at it as, as an assault, but I, I look at it as, as a reminder, mm-hmm. right? A reminder, yeah, we're still here and you didn't get rid of us because colonization really, was to get rid of us, right? To mm-hmm. take our resources and not have to deal. And I still feel like that. I still feel like we walk around having, the, they're like, oh, here we go. You know, we have to deal with this native issue. And so. Uh, well, what about just
0: for a moment there, I'm thinking about um, invisibility. That's part of colonization. It's a yes. systematic, you know, um, breeding out, and a gradual erasure of traditions, whether it starts with exactly you know, how we feel about our bodies and the rituals associated with coming of age to language, and then eventually skin and appearance.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Right.
1: Yes. And you exist. You
0: exist between worlds, right, or the yes. mirror world.
1: One. I wonder. I mean, for my own thing, I wonder if I got them so that I knew who. Like when I look in the mirror, I know who yeah. I am. Yes. Uh, and and then uh, to tell other people this is who I am, you know? And I think that's what it is now, uh, for contemporary women. Yeah. It's a celebration. It also gives them a way to heal from traumas. And that's something we're working with Alison Kelleher, um, who's a tribal healer, but also medical doctor. She's amazing. And she's been sitting with Sarah and I, Sarah lives here in town, one of our, uh, my co-apprentices. And, um, Teaching us about how to help because the process is really quiet. You know, the tattooing process is so quiet. There's no machine between us. It's just me and another person, and um, we can talk, we can laugh, we can cry the way through it, right? So,
0: and, and what are your tools as you're doing that that are so quiet?
1: Those um tools. I make a little harpoon yeah. uh, for each client, and and that's and then of course skin stitching is just a needle and thread. Mm-hmm. So it's very very quiet process and you have a lot of opportunity when you open up the skin, often people open up their hearts and they're, yeah uh, tell their stories. So we've been working with Allison how to help as much as we can, but also to protect ourselves. Right. Cause we don't want to get too far, excuse me, into their, you know, take on their pain. We want to help as much as we can and, and then be able to help the next person. So, um, Allison's been amazing in helping us learn how to do that, uh, teaching us about touch and uh, just what we can do. Uh, from a to traditional, help.
0: you know, from a traditional perspective, when you think about touch and what can you do, what what's really different that you that you're noticing from from the framework that Allison is bringing to what you had thought of or been aware of as more what you might say more Western or colonial, right.
1: But I think I, I think in my own personal struggle with it, like I, I was bought into the system. It's taken me a while to kind of step away and, and even recognize spirituality and, and that our ancestors are with us. Like that's hard for me to even verbalize now, but, um, but I know that's, that's real now, which, um, in the past I was so cynical, right. Um, when you're, when you're oppressed and you see your people oppressed and you see racism and constantly you get so cynical Yeah. and to open that back up, open up your heart to these ideas is, uh, has been a real challenge, but, um, a rewarding one. Um, yeah.
0: So tell me, you know, like, the tattooing fits into this bigger story of yourself making visible acts and making visible um, Indigenous identity around right. Anchorage, especially the biggest. Right. They say the biggest village in Alaska. The biggest
1: Native village in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yes, I love that. But um, before COVID, we were traveling to the other to other villages quite a bit, as much as we could, um, and working with communities and um, educating. And, um, it's so fulfilling and it's so wonderful. Um, how do you balance that with like these big, you know,
0: public art projects that you're doing? You've got, well,
1: you I think know. COVID, it was, a <laughs> <laughs> COVID helps, um, because I've just been stuck, right. We haven't been able to travel for almost a year and, um, I've been able to focus on public art. However, um, public art's a, f- a funny thing. It, it pays well, which is really great. And then um, it all happens at once. Like you do a proposal and that takes some time. Then there's many months, sometimes a year, and then you, you get it done. So it isn't a, it isn't a hands-on all the time process. Um, I also do graphics, right, to pay my bills. So um, mm-hmm. I'm able to do that um, as well as tattoo. So the biggest thing is my schedule. Like I I just have to schedule Mm -hmm. and I'm not always good about scheduling, uh, time for other things. Um, but luckily, you know, COVID really slowed things down. So I've been able to really think about what I want to do, where we want to go, um, how we want to do it. Um, Is that a big
0: change for you? Just like, at this time, having this kind of timeout time to rethink. Absolutely.
1: To it's been hard, actually. Um, I've always suffered with a little depression, but like, it's been tough being yeah. here. Like, this is my space, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's been uh, tough and um, struggling with getting up every day and you know, getting out of the house every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm lucky I have a puppy and an old dog and they make me go out into the wilderness every day. And, um, that has been a lifesaver. Like if I wasn't doing that every day, I, I don't know, it'd be really tough. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I feel you. I, I'm struggling with that too. And I'm thinking about how much it just, um, Encourages me to just be in this space with you right now, you know, yes. connecting and talking about what's really going on and how it's been difficult. Do you think there are certain changes that you're going to really try and take with you when we, as we come out of this pandemic, in terms of how you're using your time and how you're
1: thinking about
0: your priorities?
1: I don't know. I I hope so. I kind of like the ADHD. Uh, you know, busy here. This public art here. Graphic design deadline here. I kind of love that. Um, I've always loved it. So um, um, I do feel like though that my the the words coming out of my mouth have uh, I've had so much time to think, and um, like that will is what will change the most. Is in, in that it solidified these ideas. Mm-hmm. And and I always say. Yeah, but um, kind of bringing it all together. I've listened to so many podcasts too, like educational about Black Lives Matter and how that you know, goes hand in hand with Native issues and we shouldn't separate them. Like thinking about that kind of stuff and how I can support other Brown people when I'm speaking about Inuit issues. Um, I'm I, That's my biggest takeaway from the COVID Sitting still for so long. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I've been reading a really interesting book by um, a meditator named Sylvia Borstein and she has this expression: "Don't just do something, sit there." Yeah. Which is really hard for me to it's do. It's really hard. I have that busy gene, and it distracts me, and and sometimes it it comforts me, and I'm thinking exactly. while I'm doing things with my hands.
1: Exactly. I know it's been real hard to sit, but um, I feel like with the light coming back, you know, um, I'm more positive. You know, springtime for Native people is really tough because the light comes back and you are are expected to be happier and you feel the same person. (laughs) And it, it can be really tough and our suicide rates go up really high. So speaking honestly, regularly about that issue. Um, and being okay with being really down sometimes mm-hmm. um, during this time, we're supposed to be really happy that. Um, wow. I bet
0: a fair amount of processing is happening while you're meeting with clients. Have you been able to continue your tattoo practice?
1: I have been um, just slowly. Uh, I haven't been uh, posting about it. I let the client do that um, just because I don't want to get overwhelmed and have to say no to too many people. Yeah. Yeah. But I've been very slowly, especially over COVID. I was so lucky to have people in my bubble who wanted tattoos, <laughs> so that helped a lot. Kept me fresh. Um, I've also been working with my oldest son. Uh, he just turned twenty-one um, because we speak about um, a lot about Native men and what they need and their their struggle. You know, Native men have the highest rates of suicide. Um, the highest rates of incarceration, three times the national average of any other, you know, group. And um, how can we change that? And right before COVID last year, we were in Hawaii at a tattoo conference, and we spent two weeks there. And something I learned over there from Keone, who's um, the Hawaiian tattooer, is that They do things, men do things very differently. They tattoo differently. They talk to each other differently. And um, men need men to heal Mm -hmm. and and to be an example. I can mother the hell out of everybody, but they need each other. And um, that really, that whole thing in Hawaii with Julia Gray and Keone just uh, solidified that I needed to do more with men. And um I had this opportunity to work with somebody who's been on the trail with me, right? <laughs> and um and he's amazing and lovely. So we've been working a lot together over this time. And um, he's just become quite the tattooer, just amazing. Wow. I know are you
0: speaking of your son?
1: Yeah, my son, Trevor. Yeah. He is amazing and he's just I mean he speaks so clearly. Um and so honestly, and he's just an amazing kid. And he tattooed uh, Ricky the other day when Ricky was in town. Ricky Tagaband from Juno. and um, it was just like full circle. It's just lovely. It was just lovely to see so the next generation. It,
0: that's what I'm thinking about. Is just how like in the space of one generation, with your consciousness and passion and skills and availability to your son, you're creating so much change with his clarity, as you put it,
1: yes, and the
0: yes. capacity, the skill that he's Exactly.
1: He's and again. it was, right, because he was on this whole journey with me, right? He was, he knew everything. Even if I didn't talk to him directly, he heard it all. And he knew what we were trying to do. And um, it's almost innate now, like it's in him now. So I don't even have to do any explaining. It's its just powerful. And I know that Sarah's been working with her girls as well. Um, and Are you and talking about Sarah Whelan? Yes, yeah, Sarah Whalen Lund, Lund, Lund. Lund. Yeah. And uh, we work together here. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, she's been working with her girls. And I think that's going the same way. Just It's just so magical. You get to do this amazing thing with your kid and, and trust them um, with this knowledge and with this uh. For the next generation, I mean, Sarah and I are both in our forties, so like, it's not like we can do it for very long. I can't be ninety and punched over a tattoo. <laughs> are
0: you Are you comfortable um, identifying as a healer, as a cultural worker? Who's uh,
1: I, I try. About? I'm I'm getting there. I'm trying. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, a therapist, yes, I can do that. <laughs> Like, I listen to stories, like, I identify with all stories, you know, Um, I always say, you know, to young girls who come in to see me and we're tattooing, we can talk about serious stuff, or we can just laugh, it's totally up to you. But when you do feel ready uh, to talk about the trauma that you've endured, just Mm -hmm. turn to another Native girl, like, sexual, uh, it's sexual abuse is what. I'm speaking of specifically, uh, some, our numbers are ridiculously high, like 90% of Native women have been sexually abused in some way. And, um, but physical abuse as well. And um, yeah, it isn't always as heavy. But I always tell people that whenever you're ready, just turn to another Native girl to speak to her.
0: Just yesterday, Holly, I was listening to a really beautiful story in Spanish about a tattoo project in Spain that a woman who studied tattoo decided to do, which is um, and you've probably read about this, she created this um, nonprofit that basically invites women who have been, um, who are recovering from abuse, who are survivors of trauma, Um, and sometimes that looks like um, tattoos where a man's name is on their body to express ownership or control and these women are trying to move forward so they come in to have those marks of their body you know reinvented and to take back their body. yeah
1: yeah oh I love that idea I've not read about that but I love that idea um it's always a bad idea to have somebody you know name on you. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I I do. I love that idea of, um, reclamation and, um, and that's what we're doing, right. And that's what we're doing. We're taking back, we're talking about our hard stories as, as we're sitting there and we're taking back some of the power and then leaving with something hopefully beautiful lately. And I think it's over COVID. Um, that I've just had a lot of time to think about how I tattoo, and the the tattoos have become more beautiful. Like lately, every one that I do, I want. <laughs> wow, I know, and I just think that's because I had a long break, and now I appreciate it more.
0: Do you feel that there's connections between the work that you're doing on the body, especially or specifically the female body, and acts of um, reclamation? of acknowledgement that relate directly to land acknowledgement and the public art works, the works that you create in public space. Yeah, I do.
1: I really think it's all tied, connected. Um, It's all the same work, I think. It's that reminder, right? For other people, I call them opportunists, um, to know that we're still here, that we've always been looked on as as a, as a burden or like another hurdle for them to take our resources, that we're still here and that we have a strong voice. I think it all, when I think about imagery, when I think about the tattoos, I think they're all connected in that I'm constantly just trying to remind people we're still here, that we still live here, that we um, should have more of a voice here. um, Because, you know, honestly, we're the ones who care about the land and care about the next generation. You know, like I don't want to bring his name up, but selling of Anwar, the leases on Anwar. That is just heartbreaking. That is for the next generation and the generation after that. And um that happened, right? Yeah. And um
0: the direct parallels between the um extractive. Control and colonization of the land, and the female body.
1: Yes, and 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 people speak about it better than I do, but I, I do believe it's so connected. the The taking, right? The, the taking we've endured, and then this reclamation and and wrecking and demanding of recognition that we're here, and um, and our people. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, that we're people just like everybody else, I think is a a strong reminder and something that I think about when I'm doing public art, I'm doing graphics, when I'm doing everything that I do. And I, I hope that comes across as um, just a reminder to the other people.
0: So making more visible the presence of Indigenous people, of Indigenous women. And- right um if you think about that in terms of your sculpture could you describe a recent project um and if you'd like you know to share an image or to um whatever you might like that sort of is how how you're exploring that through a really different media i mean i've seen you use um beer caps yeah bottle caps, i have one right behind pains. me that's right yeah. you have made some amazing big portrait work that are kind of color studies Mm -hmm. but using materials at hand and of course the bottle cap has a lot of um you know environmental and sort of sociocultural resonance as a thing you know related to um drinking and trash and recycling and all kinds of things
1: yeah i love those pieces um They're hard for me to do because they're a lot of work, but I I do love them. And they tell the stories of my own family members. Still an important issue. Nowadays, I tell my family who who drink too much, you're the next portrait if you don't watch it. (laughs) you're so fearless you're so courageous how did you come (laughs) by that I don't know the overconfidence of uh of the first girl I think yeah (laughs) I think I just uh being the first girl getting all that I had blonde curls and right I was a native girl with blonde curls and um I got a lot of ridiculous attention it just gave me a lot of confidence um and I, yeah. and being the oldest, I think you just uh, you find your own path when you're the oldest. I think I get a lot of freedom and, and as artists, you know, we get a lot of freedom anyway to kind of, and I, uh, who said this? He's a mask maker. He works with Alvin, um, oh, Alvin Perry? No. Yeah. Perry said Perry. at a presentation we were at a few years ago that as artists, we get all this freedom to do whatever the hell we want. Our lives can look any way we want them to. And um, that resonates with me.
0: I mean, we can, people, you know, people don't always choose the level of of responsibility that you do to help, um, inspire, and guide others forward. They might choose
1: freedom, right, right, I right, I mean? right, right, right. And, and I think around. though, is 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 a freedom mm-hmm. because I don't have to think about what I want. Right. I I try uh, to think about what is best for everybody in my community and um that's a real freedom because I don't I don't have to think about free will I don't have to think about stepping on people to get what I want Mm. right Uh, that commitment is a freedom and I feel lucky I don't think of it as a burden at all I, I feel lucky um I mean see I see artists trying to find their identity and I never have to worry about that wow and
0: you know you're um your honesty and courage is, is so inspiring, you know, and I'm just reading some, some comments in the chat right now. And, and, um,
1: I'm glad I can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's really just
0: the appreciation that you could acknowledge men's trauma and how important it oh, is to pay attention to men's right. and, as well.
1: Right. I, I think that's so important. I mean, with our numbers, uh, I hate numbers, statistics, but it's a good, uh, it's a good gauge of where we are in society and And our men, um, anything I can do for our men, um, like train my son, it's the Mm -hmm. best I can do now, but anything I can do. I also worked on that um, suicide prevention video, uh, PSA, which um, was both rewarding and it's powerful and I love it. It's the heart of the land, Alaska. Um, And I can't. We cast that. I cast that up in Coxabue in the area, and it was directed toward young Native men. So we were fine. We went around uh, the state and uh, with my own connections and found men already doing amazing things, young Native men doing amazing things on their own. I mean, we had a skateboarder, we had a carver, we had a uh we I mean I my list was so long and then of course we were shooting within this little time frame so we had to find people who were available so I still have a long list of young Native men that I want to do more with right I want to show do film work that shows these stories these success stories Mm -hmm. um, yeah that's something that's on my mind and has been over COVID quite a bit is how do I uh, what's next with um that I can do for for, for men for Native men.
0: Um, do you think it's a new project, or will it continue to work with some of the media film? Tattoo? Yeah,
1: I like. Uh, I was just talking to David Taylor in Hawaii, um, and he we've worked together over the years, and we went to UAA together. And he's working on some film, and we were talking yesterday about how film is a real direct you can make real change right through humor. I mean, you could through storytelling it, it you can make real change in the way people think. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's a powerful tool and I still want to continue to use it.
0: You're so extraordinary.
1: Oh, stop I, I, it. You are no, no more, no more compliments. And wisdom
0: just really, <laughs> no, I, I mean, come on, show us that That's okay. It's okay.
1: Thank you. But again, I have the freedom of commitment to my community, right? Like that freedom of commitment uh, is, is so freeing. I feel like, I mean, I'm so grateful. I have that connection and I'm able to do what I can every day, right? I have people come in almost every day and we get to sit together and talk story and, and heal and, and laugh and cry. I mean, It's a lovely. I'm just so lucky. Well, you know, you are lucky and you're also honest about what's
0: difficult. I want to ask you, what do you need? What if you could get the support of the world to lean into your mission and the kind of work that you choose to prioritize, you know, from the level of um, community pride, social justice, women's um, confidence, m- empowering men, what do you need to do that work?
1: Oh boy. I wonder, you know, I work with Mike Conti a lot mm-hmm. and um, he's amazing and he's so great to work with. And um, I, I, I would say funding, but it's not mm-hmm. about funding It's more like time. I need more time mm-hmm. to, Do this. I need a good assistant (laughs) and I need more time. Um, I've been so lucky recently to be getting, I I just got a Rasmussen Fellowship and to be getting this recognition and um, funding. Now it's just uh, getting down to it and uh, finishing projects like our film, Uh, working on new projects, which I want to do more film. Even if they're low budget, just telling the tattoo stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I want to do more of that. I also love this forum. Like, I love uh, the video podcast kind of stuff. So um, trying to figure out a way not to make it too big for me either. Mm-hmm. Like, to do it, like, being a guest regularly on mm-hmm. different shows is a good way to get the information out there and talk about the issues so trying to figure out what's next and um find a good assistant and,
0: <laughs> and you're talking about an assistant probably on a lot of different <laughs> levels of organization
1: exactly
0: yeah. you need a, you need an, an apprentice so.
1: exactly yeah yes yeah. i need just something um someone to help mm-hmm. um and the, and then um yeah maybe it would be nice not to have to do it all myself you know to find people i trust to do it with um, well
0: i'm a firm believer in um articulating what you need yeah and then, um because you never know what the universe might provide when exactly. it comes along you can identify it yeah you know reach out and hang on to yeah um an offer or entertain an idea that could lead to
1: exactly
0: relationships. so i
1: guess i'm going to say more funding as well <laughs> 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 oh, you're so fabulous and so deeply
0: inspiring and generous I, I really awesome. want to thank you for joining us today it's and, good to
1: see you You too. um I'm, I try so hard you know it's such a weird um uh, medium to connect but uh it's so nice to see faces and connect those yeah. people this way yeah.
0: I want to invite you know anybody who's chosen to listen and join in on Zoom to, you know, turn your camera on for a moment and, and, you know, just like show your face. Um, here's <laughs> looking at you, Holly. Oh so
1: <laughs> cute. Oh, I love
0: yeah. it. Yeah. And then of course there's always a bunch of people out there in um Facebook land who are choosing to watch, you know, today that way and that's always a, you know, an option. But I wanna thank the supporters who choose to enter this more intimate space with us, and especially you as our future
1: guest. Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry about the little glitch earlier. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, we are here. We made it. So Thank you all. Yes, thanks, Asia.